I know, I know, this is supposed to be a podcast about TV history, but today it's a podcast about, well, podcasts, and actually how podcasts connect to radio, specifically in each's own unique history. All that and more today on... Welcome back to another mini-episode of Inside the Box, a TV history podcast. I'm Jonathan Bullinger. So today's goal, as in most of these mini-episodes, is to be kind of quick, down and dirty, get in, get out, and talk about the topic at hand. So as I teased at the, uh, at the front of this episode is I want to talk today a little bit about podcasts and where podcasts are as of this recording and connect that to a little bit of their own history and more specifically radio's history. So this is going to revolve around a particular book that I've always loved and I'll tell you more about that in a second. But before I do, just let me say as I always do, thank you so much for those who've been listening to our main episodes brand new this this fall. Uh, These are in the main feed, the free ones that you're hearing this mini episode as part of. And so at this point in time, you've probably already listened to, uh, you know, if you're a regular listener, that is, the uh, episode on NFL's high-scoring games and why that's happening. And if you've been watching football this season, you know we've had a few of those high-scoring games, so I feel like what we're talking about is still pretty relevant. And you probably also have enjoyed, we we hope at least, the two-part episode on the NBC 1970s miniseries Holocaust with our uh, special guest, uh, Dr. Craig Kunin, uh, who came in to talk with us about uh, where that miniseries fell within sort of the historical consciousness of the event for American viewers. Uh, Thanks again to Steve for spearheading all of that, because I think those have been, if you don't mind me tooting my own horn, I think those are pretty solid episodes. And also, as I always say, thank you so much for those of you who do choose to donate a couple dollars here and there to the Patreon to get access to both the full archive of episodes available. Although, as you already know, we also provide you free select episodes from the archive that we take out from behind that Patreon paywall and put them under the Mining the Archive Mondays. So... Uh, it gives you a sort of a, a, a taste, a flavor, if you will, of what the archive is like. And so if you're interested in listening to all of it, uh, feel free to donate over on Patreon at Inside the Box uh, TV History Podcast, and you'll get access to that. But you'll also get access to a limited number of brand new Patreon-only bonus episodes. And if you've been listening, you, uh, you've uh, heard me talk about... Uh, some, some, admittedly, some niche interests of mine within television history, but I, I do hope that you'll be, uh, you have been enjoying them. And we'll also be talking, uh, uh, well, the next bonus episode when that drops, uh, I'll be talking once again about one of my favorite topics, and one that's uh, a favorite of Andrew's as well, and that is the uh, music, uh, particular music, infomercial from the the 1990s and into the early aughts. So if you're interested in those sorts of niche topics, feel free to uh, consider donating to the Patreon so you get access to all that content. But what I wanted to talk about today 
is, I guess, a bit of navel-gazing in that we are a podcast and I want to talk about podcasts. But really, I think it's important because I think for a lot of folks who are early adopters of or were early adopters of podcasts and are very much hardcore regular listeners, you probably are already pretty much aware of this. However, if you're someone who's relatively new to podcasting or honestly you're just so busy in your life you don't really give too much thought to it, then I just want to clue you in on some basic uh, goings-on within the podcast space and so that you can better understand uh, those moves and also the context behind it. So to start out with, first off, it's the idea that, you know, podcasting is not all, all, not all that new anymore, right? It's been around at least over a decade, uh, not too much longer than that, again, to ba- based on how you, you date it and what you count as the first and all that stuff. But what you're noticing now, if, if, you, if you're paying attention, is that the traditional broadcasters, the traditional companies... Uh, in radio, have begun to gobble up podcasts as a quote-unquote new medium, right? Even though it's not really that new. And so, as what always happens within oligopoly and monopolies, or really the former there, is that you have just a few players working within the industry, and they're fighting one another for market share, but there's not a lot of space for other players, unless it's very small, very niche sort of players. So as of this record, what we're down to is basically iHeartRadio, which if you uh, if you are old enough to remember before the rebranding, right, they were the much more hated clear channel, right, set of stations. But of course, no one remembers that. That's the whole reason they rebranded so that you don't think of them that way. And then, of course, Sirius XM. And there's some other players, of course, within the podcast space as far as the big players. And that, of course, would be Spotify as well as, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Amazon through their sort of audiobook, audible sort of audio space platforms. And what you're seeing here is nothing terribly complex, but that radio and these companies, they've got the leverage, they have the financial position, and they have the experience and the connections in the network to come in and basically begin buying out smaller podcast networks of either those who just simply produce the content or, and really these were sort of the the middlemen, but also the the co-innovators within the podcast space, those companies who were really some of the first on the ground to understand how to sort of do ad buys uh, and and help to support these smaller players, these smaller content creators. Now we can, you know, we can quibble over were they sort of the beginning of the end, meaning, you know, once someone immediately started defining the space, not for sort of an alternative purpose or as a, um, uh, as an artistic space, but simply as a way to also monetize this through traditional ad revenue, uh, uh, you know that 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 we can we can argue over. But the idea here is that both those content creators and also those innovators for how to package these uh, these con- uh, these uh, creators together, you and and using technology to make it attractive to do ad buys and insert ads and update ads and all that sort of stuff. These bigger traditional media players, and, and if there's ever a, a bigger traditional media player 
EW Scripps, which I even forget all the different things they've owned over the years, but when they start getting involved, you know, you know that it's older media. But when these when these companies get involved, they're trying to basically, you know, keep business going as 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 business always has, at least their models. But of course, they want to reach the newer demographic who may only know of podcasting and never really listen to much of traditional either terrestrial or satellite uh, radio programming. So really quickly, and to state the obvious, if you've been listening to podcasts for the few last few years, the sort of mom and pop feel of it, the DIY feel of it, the quaintness of it is slowly sort of getting sucked out of it. Now, I'm not here to cry about that, because as I'll mention in a second, you'll see that there's nothing new about this. But I'd also be lying if I said that it doesn't hurt in some ways, as a fan of podcasts, to no longer hear some of my favorite hosts, and I tend to listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, you know, doing these sort of funny, their take, their funny take on these ad reads for, honestly, lots of smaller companies that you've never really heard of before, and not necessarily that you're going to buy anything from them, but it's, it, it, it feels nice, right? It feels real. It feels like a DIY thing, right? Oh, I'm a small company. Oh, hey, you're a smaller creator or content person or comedian or whoever. And we're going to do this together. And, and maybe we'll find our own little audience, right? It may not be the largest audience in the world, but, you know, maybe you could just make a living off of that rather than necessarily, oh, I'm here to be a, a star. Like, oh, you know, if this is the 1930s or 40s, like I'm going to become a radio star or whatever. Right, it, 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 there's there's a quaintness to quaintness to that idea that you could find your audience, you could find your niche, you might be able to make a living out of it. Maybe not a fantastic living, but a small living out of it, right? And 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 that sort of speaks to our our sort of better senses of ourselves as as far as Americans and American dream and all that. But of course, if you've been listening to podcasts lately, what you're now hearing essentially is the iHeart or the Sirius version of radio just now in more digestible sort of podcast form so it's no surprise all the heavy hitters are now in that space as far as advertisers uh you know your mcdonald's your uh, uh what is it a, a amiga insurance or something that i keep hearing ads for uh, uh progressive uh pepsi you know target uh, american express you know whatever all the typical players who who have the money to do traditional ad buys and so it's, it's, you know, it's a little different of a space now, and it feels like it's just going to be more, quote-unquote, radio as we used to understand it. Now, obviously, in, in the reality, it'll probably be some weird new hybrid form eventually as it all sort of settles out. But as of this record, you'll notice that uh, Sirius is, is shutting down one of the traditional older uh, uh, podcast companies, Stitcher, at least as a distribution platform. Of course, they're still going to keep the, you know, production studios for Stitcher and Earwolf, uh, so they can create the content. But they're going to, at least for now, I think they're still going to shift it through Pandora, and then I'm sure ultimately it will just become, you know, Sirius XM. Blah 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 blah. And the only reason we care about all any of this is because, of course, we don't want innovation to be stifled, right? There could have been something new there. There could have been something that's done differently. And we worry that sort of business, sorry, tends to be uh, risk averse, right? You go with what has made you money the day before, and you want to kind of keep doing the same way, right? You don't want to risk that income flow. And so you worry in this space that it's just going to sound like old, boring sort of corporate radio with automated playlists and, and, 
And, well, exactly what we're seeing now, which is stars and recognizable names, i.e. intellectual property, if you will, right, as a person, versus sort of more interesting, uh, unique sort of new voices. So uh, real quick analogy here, you know, if you're a fan of animated films, you often hear the lament that why don't they hire really experienced, really funny, really good voice actors who've been doing this for decades instead of whoever the hot new starlet is this week from a TV show or a YouTube channel or a pop song or whatever. And, and you know, the answer is obvious, which is they're known by a very large number of people, which will help to sort of bring in eyeballs and downloads and, and box office. But more importantly, that is a less risky chance than going with someone who's genuinely more talented is probably going to be funnier and make the product ultimately much more interesting, i.e. something closer to art, something that will be lasting and have a significance, but will make less money, right? That's simple reason for that. So don't get me wrong, at least for the the smaller fish podcasters that I'm aware of, as far as as a fan, you know, it's nice to know that a comedian like Scott Ackerman, you know, he, he, he made money from, from when Earwolf was sold off to the bigger, the bigger fish. Good for him. Uh, uh, and, you know, as much as I love these huge established comedians like an Amy Poehler or, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever pop star, I can't think of a pop star right now. <laughs> Sorry. You know, sure, I love these folks. But do I necessarily want every podcast uh, idea that's happening to be built around these established stars rather than, you know, new, fresh, up-and-comers? Probably not. So, you know, the natural endpoint for a lot of this is what we've already seen, which is if you still go to the movie theater, you're only going to see recognizable intellectual property, a smaller number of films released, uh, and and less choice. You go on to television, same thing, lots of reboots, remakes, updated IP, your your Magnum PIs, your Quantum Leaps, that sort of thing. And you all start to see this, of course, in, in podcasting as well. And this is something actually Andrew and I have been working on as far as an article. I won't say too much about it at this point because it has yet to be published, but, you know, it's no, no uh, big secret that the corporations who do media products increasingly see the podcast these days as simply an updated version of what we used to call the DVD extra, right? They're just seeing it as a way to get fans or a potentially paying audiences to get excited and constantly be thinking about their products and engage with this. So again, that's a reasonable enough purpose for some podcasts. But of course, I'm not looking for that from all podcasts. A crude looking instrument, but one that was destined to develop the modern miracles of radio. Marconi amazed the world by sending and receiving wireless messages 3,000 miles across the Atlantic. Let's now move to the context for all this. Why this is not surprising, why this is not new. And it starts with one of my favorite books out there on media history. And it is called Inventing American Broadcasting. And it was written back in 1987 by Susan J. Douglas. Now, uh, Douglas has since written much more successful books than this. 
she's a pretty well-known voice in her field. Uh, I believe she still teaches as of this recording out at uh, University of Michigan. And she's, you know, she's a big, well-known academic. All that being said, this is my favorite book of hers. I've read this a couple different times. Uh, I, I still remember searching out a copy of it and being thrilled that there was one down in the uh, in the 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 uh, Burbank uh, Public Library, not the central branch, but the one that was uh, over by the by the mall. I can't think of the the name of it at this moment, uh, which branch that was. But uh, but what she wrote is a history of radio in the early uh, 20th century, and realize I'm going to do a, a really crude sort of uh, bastardized summary of this work, but realize there's so much more detail and so much more depth in this book than what I'm going to provide with you today, provide for you today, but, uh, but I hope it'll nonetheless get you sort of interested in it. But the short version of it is, the reason she wrote the book is because up until that point, many media historians wrote some version of, and then in 1922, radio burst on the scene and captured our imaginations. And she's saying, and arguing really, sure, that happened, but the way we got there uh, was much more involved and interesting of how radio became that instantly sort of popular medium, uh, much in the way that, that, well, certainly podcasts haven't taken over the way that radio uh, did, uh, but I think there's some parallels there. And I admit my parallel is, is rather crude, but, but see where I'm going with this. So short version of this in this multi-step process is that you have this interplay between technology, business practices, and the press, or how it was promoted. And it goes through all these really interesting uh, uh, steps, as I said. The first, of course, is the idea of this sort of inventor hero of the late 19th century. And most of us think in terms of Edison, but as far as radio, it's all about Marconi. And the idea of him sort of making the breakthrough and sort of being a, a new leader, right, in, in building out this industry. And I think, obviously, before you know, we all soured on him, uh, while certainly not an inventor per se, but this idea of an inventor or a business luminary in the mold of like an Elon Musk when he first burst on the sh onto the scene, right? American history, we, we have a love affair with, with that sort of archetype. And radio started with that. And then just like any sort of new invention, there's lots of competitors who want to kind of get in on that. And so there's this sort of a scrum, right? Between the different ways of doing this, how it should be applied and trying to sort of, you know, gain the technological advantage. And then, you know, obviously, once people smell money, the business interests sort of start to work in. And they try to sort of, you know, the inventors themselves, they either try to build out their own sort of company, a la like a, a Dumont in the 50s. Uh, some are successful at it, some are not. Sometimes the business interests move in and help to push one farther than the other, et cetera, et cetera. But then what's really interesting here is as it becomes, as it becomes this new sort of uh, almost hobbyist uh, uh, invention is you have the early adopters. You have this subculture, much like those who first started tinkering around with personal computers, those who first started sort of tinkering around with, with websites and social media, 
you know, you had these, you know, younger, mostly male sort of hobbyists sort of tinkering around with radio kits and trying to see if they could get signals and, and, and broadcast and all that sort of thing. But as the technology developed and as we started to see that there were some new, you know, possibilities, you have these big institutional players start to get involved. One is this idea of military, and particularly the Navy. And remember, back then, we're talking about the early, early uh, days of the 20th century, we're not even calling it radio, we're calling it wireless telegraphy, right? Wonderful phrase there. But you get these institutional players, like the Navy sort of coming in, and certain corporations... But then it's weird, is it is is along with the institutional players and the amateur hobbyists, the operators, we still have sort of an unseen sort of moment sort of work in there and, and sort of propel things. And that, of course, is the, is the Titanic disaster, right? Suddenly, the idea of having wireless telegraphy available on a ship in danger like that, that seems absolutely necessary for any ship. And so... Once it becomes sort of desired on the part of, you know, uh, or for these reasons, now you really have military coming in to want to use this for a strategic advantage. Uh, We have corporations who definitely smell the potential for using uh, radio as a way to sort of broadcast out content, entertainment, news, etc., And so, long story short, again, this is uh, Inventing American Broadcasting, uh, the first edition, 1987, by Susan J. Douglas. But what you basically are left with uh, toward the end of this period, which again, 1922, and it's fun as of of this recording, right? That's just just over 100 years ago, is you basically have the government in its regulation essentially carve up and give away this very valuable sort of piece of communication infrastructure to both corporations and the military for use. And not surprisingly, those players who end up sort of controlling uh, radio broadcasting are right there uh, able to benefit from doing basically the same thing when television comes around, controlling it, and at least in the early goings, developing it and running it just like they did with the radio networks. Uh, you know, your, uh, you know, CBS and and NBC. So it's an interesting story. It it goes from 1899 to 1922. And I I just really can't uh, suggest the book to you uh, strongly enough. You know, it's just a just a favorite of mine. But my point being is the the parallel is a simple one, which is, at one point, we did not have wireless telegraphy, i.e. radio. And then we did. And 1922 is the year where it really changes everything. And no one said it had to develop the way that it did. It, it was an interplay of various personalities and various institutions and the way the press marketed it that allowed it to go the particular way that it did. But, unsurprisingly, business interests... Uh, soon sort of institutionalized it in a way that was mostly to, yes, provide news and information for the public good, of course, but to profit from it. And 
Weirdly, just over 100 years later, we're seeing very much a similar idea happen to podcasting. Now again, scale-wise, embracement, you know, accessibility, interest, not the same. Radio is much more popular in its day than podcast is uh, today compared to other forms of media and entertainment available to us. But as ter- in terms of a popular audio-based medium, you know, I think podcasting uh, really had a chance to shake things up in, in some ways, you know, as much as radio certainly did. And I would just hate, and this is where I'm, you know, being totally honest here, I would just hate if in the next 15 years, we might still call it a podcast or a pod or whatever, but it really just becomes another word for that sort of very boring, very sort of obvious, very expected version of corporate radio that we all sort of, you know, kind of got sick to our stomachs on by the late 1990s when Clear Channel, i.e. iHeartRadio, just bought up every radio station that they could in the country and rolled out sort of this very cookie-cutter, automated sort of playlist. And again, not to, to beat a dead horse here, but much like we see at the Cineplex, where we have very little choice, it's mostly familiar intellectual property, and nothing really new. Now, to provide a counter-argument to my own argument, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you will say, well, but that's what TikTok's for these days, right? TikTok is anybody can be up there providing content and creating their own unique spin on things, and it's very much personality-driven. And you may very well be right. But uh, regardless, I'm sure at some point, <laughs> I'm sure at some point a YouTube, a uh, you know, a Facebook, an ABC, a CBS will either come into the TikTok space or build their own TikTok space or whatever and just provide it to you alongside the traditional sitcom, the traditional this or that. My point here is, while it's nice to see people make money and, and of course, go with experienced broadcasters and professionals, and we just saw this with the strike information, right? These folks are knowledgeable. They deserve to be paid and, 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 and provided benefits, right? There's a professionalism there. There's a years of experience available to to them that we benefit from by allowing them to work. But at the same time, sometimes, you know, things get stale, right? Things get stale. Things get risk averse. Things get a little boring. And I would just hope to not see that completely happen to podcasting. And so that's what drives that fear, I should say, drives, you know, the point of this episode. But let's not leave on a down note. <laughs> let's let's leave on something a little more a little more optimistic. And that is, I think one interesting thing with podcasts is they are the epitome of niche broadcasting, right? There are so many podcasts now, and it is such a wonderful, easy way for younger folks who maybe are interested in creating content and they may only have experience creating a little bit of fun sort of TikTok videos or Instagram posts, etc. But they haven't done anything that's a little bit more longer form storytelling, longer form sort of investigative journalism, or maybe they're just want to be comedians and, and this is a way for them to sort of write and, and do funny stuff. And I think for that point, even though, you know, there are way too many podcasts these days, I do think it's awesome that there is such a great alley or, or avenue rather for them to, 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 to figure all that stuff out and get that experience. Uh, because in a weird way, it is kind of nice that 
it does, I guess, I, I wasn't alive then, but it almost feels, I'm sure, like the 1940s was, where radio was, was you know, and movies were king, right? As you, you gathered around uh, the, the radio set at home and you listened to dramas and comedies and situation, or sorry, comedies, uh, uh, action shows, suspense, situation comedies, etc. And in a lot of ways, we're doing that again, just maybe perhaps only in the car together, and otherwise just kind of under our own uh, AirPods or earbuds, uh, listening to all this fun stuff on our own. You know, I don't know. So, looking at the time, I probably have taken you a little longer than I meant to on this, again, mini episode, but I do love this topic, so I just kind of got carried away talking about it. So, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, you will find a, uh, uh, another brand new main episode coming up. And again, Steve's involved in many of these, so you'll hear from him again. And uh, again, if you want to donate to the Patreon, we'll also have brand new bonus episodes coming up. Again, the one that's coming soon is this idea of music infomercials. Uh, from the 1990s and the early aughts. So I think we'll we'll learn something there and have some fun with that. And otherwise, uh, we appreciate that you're listening. And uh, if you want to give us feedback, you know, direct comment uh, to us on either Instagram uh, or Facebook. Uh, you can also just uh, shoot us an email at the show webpage at www.tvhistorypod.com where you get all the information about the show. And so for Andrew J. Salvati, Steve Voorhees, I'm Jonathan M. Bullinger. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you down the road. Bye-bye. <music>